0: Let's turn our Bibles to First Samuel chapter 16 verses 1 through 13. First uh, Samuel 16:1 through13. It is 4:43, page 443 in your few Bibles. And this is what it says, what the Bible says. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will, not, we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. This is the word of the Lord. Everybody has a name, um, we, uh, it's a name tag Sunday, so you have a name on your chest, hopefully, and most of us have a nickname. For, for example, my name is Young Kwang Kim, although I misspelled my name initially, but I corrected it. Um, uh, and, and I also have been known by various names, depending on different stages of my life. Um, Y2K, currently, right? But at some point, I was known as Kimchi. That's a little racist, but you know we'll let that slide. Um, also, recently, somebody called me Young Blood, and he had a fist like that. Young Blood. Anyways, um, then there are um, cherished terms of endearment. Just think of a grandmother and and her look or the look on her um, eyes when her grandchild calls her. Nina or Oma, right? And let's not forget about those cringe ones either, like cringe pet names like Honey Plum or Buttercup. But there is a tier above these familiar names. There is what we call titles. Titles capture the essence of person's uniqueness, reflecting something profound about the person and the impact that person has made. Take Mariah Carey uh, as an example. Her song, All I Want for Christmas is You, has become so synonymous with Christian music, she's often hailed as the queen of Christmas. Of course that title is not a legally binding title. But it it is a title that resonates with most of us because when we hear that intro drop, right, with the chime bells, and when we hear her mesmerizing voice start singing, oh, I don't want to laugh for Christmas, we know that another season, season of Christmas has come. In the Bible, we come across many titles like that, titles that capture the essence of the person's character and profound relationship that person had with God For example, only the likes of Moses, Abraham, and a few others are called friends of God, revealing their deep personal relationship with God. Then in the, the Gospel of John, the Apostle John is referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved, revealing this personal, very unique bond that he enjoyed with Jesus Christ. Then there is this biblical title, given to David, a man after God's own heart. It captures the essence of David's heart, the heart that is after God's own heart. I mean, we don't find that title in our scripture reading. It actually happens, it it occurs earlier in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel and later once more in Acts 13. But we do see a reference to the heart in verse 7 of our reading. Today, as we continue our sermon series called The The Kingdom of Heaven Belongs to Such as These, we are going to focus on the fact that God looks at the heart. In our reading, God sent Samuel to the city of Bethlehem to anoint Israel's future king among Jesse's many sons. And Samuel was given a clear instruction. He was to anoint the person that God would indicate However, as soon as Samuel arrived at Bethlehem, Samuel began sizing up Jesse's sons uh, from a human perspective. For instance, when he saw Eliab, he he thought he checked all the boxes, right? Eliab was Jesse's firstborn son. So socially and culturally, check, right? Tall, check. Strong, check. Good-looking too, check. Samuel was so impressed that he immediately thought that this was God's anointed. But what impressed Samuel were external things, his outward appearance. The Lord, however, does not look at the things that people look at. The Lord looks at the heart. Uh, Then why was the heart so important to God. Well, in order for us to understand, we need to think a little bit about how we talk about, how we think about the heart, versus how the ancient Israelites thought about the heart in the Old Testament time. In our world today, we 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 think in our minds and we 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 feel in our hearts, right? However, the ancient Israelites did them did both of them in their heart. I mean, that's why in uh, Deuteronomy six five, when God commands us to love Him with all our heart, soul, and strength, the word mine is notably missing. It's only in the New Testament the word mine is added. The point here is that the heart in the Old Testament time is a seat of both feelings and decisions. God's heart reflects God's decisions. Then a person after God's own heart is a person who follows God's decisions. In other words, when God looks at the heart, God is looking for the person's faithfulness to him. In our scripture reading, God wants Samuel to anoint not a capable person, but a faithful one who would lead his people by following his decisions, God's decisions. And this all occurs in the wake of God's total rejection of Saul. Saul, of course, was the first king over Israel. But human king was something that God never desired uh, for his people of Israel. God himself was the sovereign king. But in 1 Samuel 8, the Israelites demanded that they would have a human king ruling over them, just like all these other nations did at the time. And God's response is quite revealing. He said, they have rejected me as their king. But what is surprising is that after saying that, God told Samuel to give the people what they wanted. So in Samuel 9, in 1 Samuel 9, we are introduced to this person Saul. But we are introduced, when we are introduced to Saul, Saul is described from a very human perspective. He is described as a young, strong man, like good-looking man who was a taller than anyone else in all of Israel. But the Bible does not mention anything about his heart or his faithfulness to God. But after all, such an outer appearance is what people look for in a king in those days. But not God. God looked at, looks at the heart. Unfortunately, Saul's reign demonstrated his lack of the heart that God desired, faithful heart that God desired. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul disobeys God's command right before a battle, and this is where we find that title. Sa- Samuel confronts um, Saul and says, Now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him his, his, his appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. We can already see how the man after God's own heart is a man who follows God's decisions, God's commands. And again, in chapter 15 of the same book, Saul disobeys God's command, God's command this time to destroy all of Amalekites and their belongings. Saul instead um, spares the king, uh, the Amalekite king, and some of the best livestock that they had. And when Samuel confronts him again, Saul this time reveals his true heart by saying that he obeyed the people over God because he was afraid of them. Saul, in the end, proved himself to be the king that the people wanted, but not what God desired. So in our reading, God sets out to do something different. He sets out to anoint a different king, a faithful one who would obey God. Although it is not explicit in our English translation, verse one of our reading says, I have provided for myself a king. That's, that's in the Hebrew text. It highlights that Saul was not the king that God wanted. Saul was the king that the people wanted Now God was going to install a different type of king over his people, a king of his choosing. So when Samuel again started sizing up Jesse's sons from a human perspective, God intervened and taught Samuel a lesson that God judges not by outward appearance but by the faithfulness in the heart. And when we delve into the Hebrew text a little more, this lesson lesson gets a little more interesting. More woodenly, verse 7 of our reading may read something like, people look by their eyes. The point here is that people judge others by what they see, like an eye test. An eye test may be a term familiar with, uh, you, you may be familiar with the term eye test if you follow the NFL. Um, every year during the draft season, um, managers, coaches, and executives talk about, a, talk about an eye test. It's a way to figure out who the best prospects are in that particular draft. Now, the question is, how accurate are these eye tests? Well, let me give you an example that you Packers fans may resonate. Um, back in 1999 the Cleveland Browns had the number one overall pick. And with their eye test, they selected, with their number one overall pick, they selected Tim Couch. If you're asking Tim who, yeah, that's the point. (laughs) Meanwhile, the Packers selected Donald Driver in the seventh round, one of the greatest receivers this organization's ever had in the seventh round human eyes can be very deceiving outward appearances can be very misleading god's lesson for samuel is a lesson for us all but it's also a lesson that is not new to us is it it's talking about a value that we as a society deeply uh, cherish In one of the greatest speeches in our history, Dr. King urged us not to judge people by the color of their skin, not by the outer appearance, but by the content of their character. But he said that because he acknowledged how difficult that is. We have to acknowledge how challenging this is. How many times have we misjudged Somebody solely based on what we saw, and how many times have we been let down by somebody who, on paper, was very promising, was perfect, and how many times have we been on the receiving end of such misjudgments? Human eyes are misleading or. They are deceiving, and our appearances are misleading. So much so that the Gospel of John talks about how when Jesus came to the world, the world failed to recognize him as their Messiah. Eye tests often fail. So what is the point then? So far, God made it clear to Samuel, do not judge people by their outer appearance, but then what? If not by the outer appearance, then what? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? Is God asking us to look at people and judge them by their heart like God does? Perhaps. But if that's the, if that's the lesson, I would argue that it is nearly impossible to do that. God is able to look at the heart because he is God. God. We don't have that divine eyesight. If God is asking Samuel, then us, to do what he does, then he's asking us to do something that is beyond human capability. We, like Samuel, don't have the divine eyesight to do that. Even, in, even the most astute judges of character often misjudge people. If God is asking us to look at the heart like he does we're talking about an insurmountable task. However, I don't think that that's what God is telling us to do in this text. The main point of God's lesson is about the qualities that he value in the people that he chooses to use. God's focus is not on the capability of things, but he's talking about, he's focusing on the faithfulness of a person that he's going to install as the king over his people. The kings of other nations, they relied on their own might, their own power, their own military strength to lead the nations. And Saul was the same way. But in God's kingdom, God is looking for a different leader, a different type of leader. Because in his kingdom, leadership is defined by faithfulness to God. How one aligns his heart with God's own heart. And although Jesse's sons had, you know, impressive physical attributes, height, handsome, tall, all those things, those were not the traits that God was looking for in his leaders. God, with his almighty power, doesn't need strong leaders. He's already almighty. But what he desires are faithful people who will just faithfully follow God's decisions, who are willing to obey whatever God decides. I mean, that's what we see in the person of David, the last son of Jesse, too young to be a king. Too young, in fact, in the next chapter when he goes against Goliath, he's regarded as a joke. This David was anointed, not because he was great on the outside. No, he was anointed because of his faithful heart. He would become king much later, though, at least 15 years later. In the period between his anointing and his ascension to the throne, David endured a lot. He was, his life was constantly in danger. Yet throughout it all, his faithfulness was unwavering. When he was on the run and faced numerous threats, David always turned to God and sought refuge in God. But even this David, the person that Bible presents as an ideal king, wasn't perfect. We should not ignore that part. He made plenty of mistakes. And on occasions, he actually went against God's, own, God's decisions. But here's the key point. Unlike Saul... David was always willing to realign his heart in repentance. Unlike Saul, whose heart was after the approval of the people, David's heart was after the approval of his own God. And this brings us to the crux of God's lesson in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16. And, and, and for all of us, a lesson for all of us. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people like David, whose hearts are after God's own, those who remain faithful to God in all circumstances. As believers, our faith journey with Jesus Christ is an ongoing, continuous process of shaping our hearts to resemble God's heart, realigning our hearts whenever we are faced with our own disobedience. This path is a challenging path, but let me tell you, we have reasons to be confident on this journey. First, although we are we are called to strive for perfect faithfulness and obedience, we do so in light of the fact that those perfect obedience and faithfulness are already credited to us in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, in this Advent season, we're celebrating Jesus coming into this world as the ultimate king, right? Not just to pardon our unfaithfulness and disobedience, but also to clothe us with his perfect obedience and righteousness. This brings us immense comfort just to know that we are not after God's own heart to earn salvation. No, we are after God's heart because our salvation is already guaranteed. We do this out of gratitude Secondly, we are gifted with the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, we see the Spirit of the Lord coming upon uh, David powerfully, right? And we have to realize that we too are recipients of the same Spirit. This is the Spirit that brings us closer to God. This is the Spirit that refines and transforms our hearts to make our hearts be more like God's own heart. It is a spirit, the same spirit, same divine force that enables us to persevere in our trust even in life's most difficult circumstances. It's the spirit that enables us to follow our King Jesus Christ until the day he comes back again. Faithful hearts are what God yearns for in his people. It's not our capability that he cherishes the most, what he cherishes the most is the fact that he's able to do miraculous things through our willing and faithful hearts. I mean, in our own lives, we judge ourselves and others by, um, by human standards. We are impressed or disheartened by what we see. Yet God sees the heart. He peers through... He, he sees beyond this facade that we create in our lives. And he peers deeply into our hearts. And he seeks those who are willing to follow him. He, he's after those who are striving to mirror God's hearts in their lives. And this understanding should shape how we interact with others in this world as witnesses for the king. Whenever we encounter people, our call is not to see them through our human eyes. No, our call is to see them through the lens of potential transformation. Because we know that God can do wonders in people's hearts. And we just saw six proofs of what God can do in people's hearts. Just as God has reshaped our hearts, God can reshape anyone's hearts. Perhaps what God asks of us is not to have the divine eyesight and look at the heart like he does. But rather to reach out to those who are misjudged, who are overlooked, and who are mischaracterized by the world due to their outer appearance and circumstances. I mean, in doing so, we reflect God's love and acceptance, showing them the same grace that we have received from God. The God that we worship, the God who came into the world but was misunderstood, overlooked, and mischaracterized. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who follow God's heart, and God's heart is always for those who are misunderstood, mischaracterized, and overlooked. Following God's heart is a difficult task, but God reminds us here how to do it. We gotta seek out those who have been mischaracterized by the world because God loves them and accepts them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have heard your message this morning. Now we turn our hearts to you, seeking to align them with your divine will. We ask for your guidance in shaping our hearts to be more like yours. Grant us the wisdom to make decisions that reflect your love and your acceptance. And in our interactions with others, help us help our hearts to be compassionate, understanding, and gracious, resembling your heart. In this journey of faith, we are grateful for your presence with us. We are grateful for the Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit, work within us, transform our hearts, and empower us to live out your truth. In all that we do, help us to glorify our King Jesus Christ by seeking his will and obeying him. And in his name we pray. Amen.